Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome back. This is week 37 of our Walk Through the Bible. This week, we're reading the dates in the Daily Bible of September the 10th through the 16th, or that's page numbers 1,164 to 1,202. So let's give a quick review. Last week, uh, we saw Jerusalem and Judah are finished. It's over for now. Jeremiah ends up in Egypt and ends his ministry and his life there. Ezekiel has these grand visions and his final vision, that of the temple, and then his life or his ministry comes to an end, um, and at some point his life does too. Um, So only Daniel continues. And uh, so we've taken a break, though, in our story about uh, from Daniel to read the book of Job. We began that last week. And as I explained last week, Job has three parts. It has the prologue in the first two chapters where we introduce Job and we introduce the story. And then for most of the book from chapter 3 to 42, it's this dialogue between Job and his friends And then a fourth friend appears and speaks, and then God himself speaks. And then just the last few verses of the book are considered an epilogue, and that is where it gives you the conclusion, uh, the end of the story of Job. So, um, you know, I remember back in college, uh, for some reason, I was impressed to read through the book of Job. And I got out my New International Version Bible, and I just read Job from beginning to end, letting to follow the the dialogue, follow who was saying what. I kind of was on a quest to see how could God allow this to happen to Job. And uh, when you get to the end of Job, it is such a powerful ending. So I encourage you to make the trip through this dialogue and listen. What his friends say doesn't actually sound very wrong, but it is wrong. It is not right. And that's why in the end, the Lord has to set the record straight. But they say things that they think it's logical to them. It makes sense to them. And this is why we always have to be careful not to sermonize too much when someone is hurting Um, we can do more damage uh, than good. So, um, you know, in the time of the writing of the Old Testament, most people did see suffering as a consequence of sin. And some of that is because, you know, in God's covenant with the Jewish people, he made it very clear that their obedience to him and walking in right relationship with him would would bring blessing, but that if they didn't, if they worshiped other gods, they turned from him, they disobeyed, then they would suffer. There were bad things that were going to happen in their lives. 
And so uh, the people of Israel really saw this cause and effect, and sin brought suffering and pain, and it does. But what the book of Job does is it kind of breaks through and brings a new revelation that not all sin and not all suffering is because of sin, that there is something about the sovereignty of God and that sometimes God will allow suffering and it's for his greater purposes. And that really is the uh, the overarching message here in Job and the um, really groundbreaking message into that time and that place and that society. Um, it's a brilliant book. It is written by a master storyteller. And uh, did it happen exactly as it's written? Did these three friends really appear and do this and say this? We don't know because it really is a master story. And um, you tend to think, well, maybe we're just being set up here just to learn a lesson. It's a story to learn a lesson. Uh, but as I said last week, we really do believe that Job existed. He lived somewhere there south of Edom and north of Midian. And therefore, this story about Job was passed down from generation to generation, especially in that area. And uh, both James in the New Testament and the prophet Ezekiel, actually God speaking through Ezekiel, refer to Job as a, a very real uh, character. So I believe that Job really did live and that this is a true story. It may have been embellished a bit to drive home the point, but uh, the book is an amazing piece of theology, and um, it's really worth the ride as we read through it. So last week we read uh, Job 1 through 7, so I'm not going to repeat about the prologue and what it said about Job, but I do want to uh, emphasize one point, and that is God's description of Job. This isn't what Job said. It's not what his friend said. This is what God, what God said. And so there were four attributes that God pointed out about his servant Job. And number one said he was blameless. Number two, that he was upright. Number three, that he fears God. And number four, that he shuns evil. Oh, that we might all be described in such wonderful ways by the Lord when he talks about us. What does he say about us? That's what he said about Job. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God, and he shunned evil. Nevertheless, God allowed this loss in Job's life. He allowed him to come under attack in this degree. And of course, Job refused to curse God. And in that way, Job did pass the test early on. And so the adversary went farther. He said, of course, he's praising you, but let's attack him and his health. Let's go further. And so he does. And still, Job does not curse God. Even Job's wife makes this very brief appearance on the stage. And she tells him, just curse God and die. He said, I'm not about to do that. And then in walk 
his three friends. So in chapter three, then, we begin this dialogue where each of the friends speaks, and then Job answers each one of them. And um, finally, in comes this young man, Elihu. He's a younger man, and he begins to correct these older guys. And he says, you just haven't gotten it right. You need to listen to me. I've got a different perspective here. And he begins to talk. And in one section, he begins to talk about God speaking. And so I just want you to, I want to emphasize this because I want to ask you, have, has God ever spoken to you? And maybe not audibly, maybe it was through a still small voice or, or through his word, but when God speaks, it's not just words. And this is what, you know, uh, when he speaks, it's not that he's giving us knowledge for our brain and our mind. The Holy Spirit is speaking to our spirit. And it brings the power of the Spirit into our lives. Sometimes when God speaks, it may just be through a little small voice, a little whisper. Or it could be that you're reading the scriptures and a verse just jumps off the page and into your heart. And it's the Holy Spirit speaking that to you. And with it will come a peace that passes all understanding. It can be a peace that you feel from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. It can be that God gives you a directive. And with that directive, once again, it's not head knowledge you're receiving. You're actually receiving the resolve, the commitment, the power to do what you know that he's telling you to do or, or what he's letting you know is his will to do. When God speaks, it's with power. And it makes a difference in our life. It makes an impact. So here, Elihu begins to talk about God speaking. And in chapter 33, um, here, I'm not going to read it all, but this is what he says. Um, he says, God does speak now one way, now another, though no one may perceive it, but he'll speak in a dream or in a vision at night. Or he may speak in their ears, or there may be an angel that speaks to them or ministers to them on behalf of the Lord. It says, you know, God does all these things to a person and twice, maybe even three times to turn them back from the pit that the light of light may shine on them. Now, this is a synthesis of what Elihu said. It's so interesting here. He says God may speak through a vision or a dream at night. He may speak through a still small voice in your ear. He may use an angel to minister to you. And he may do this more than once, maybe twice, maybe three times in order to direct your steps. And so then in the book of Job, in chapter 38, then God begins to speak. And how does he speak? In none of those ways, it says he speaks, he spoke out of the storm. And God says this, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Whoa, you've got to read chapter 38. If you're skimming over any of Job's, stop. Start reading in chapter 38. 
and listen to how God describes his majesty, his greatness, his power, his breath. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he says this, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. I mean, he's saying, are you really contending with me? And it says Job Job was dumbfounded. He had nothing to say. So then God tells him, brace yourself like a man. Stand up and answer me because I'm going to ask you some questions. And he says, would you condemn me? just to justify yourself? Wow. Friends, this is a loaded question. Would you, Job, condemn me, the creator of the universe, in order to justify your measly little self? In the end, by... Chapter 42, I mean, you've got to read this. It's two very rich chapters. And then Job finally responds in 42, verse 3, and he says, I spoke of things I did not understand. And then in verse 6, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, Job was an upright guy. God said himself he was blameless, he was upright, he feared God. And yet here, when God reveals himself to Job, Job is so overwhelmed By the presence of God and the majesty of God and the power of God, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I despise myself. That, my friends, is the response of our human nature when we are in front of this most powerful God, because in an instant, we know, not because he tells us, it's not about words and head knowledge, Our spirit knows this is the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. I am but a speck of dust before him, and I follow my face before him. That is the response of Job. It was the response of Isaiah when he saw God. It's the response of of many of the times in the Bible where someone saw God and they fell on their face before him. And that's how our response should be to this God. The moment we start accusing him because we have a problem in our life is the day that we're putting ourselves up on the pedestal. We are contending with the almighty God, creator of the universe, just trying to make ourselves look better. This is the lesson of Job. And it says that after this, God then rebuked the three friends for all of their wrong and empty words. And then it says, Job prayed for his friends. And then God restored Job's fortunes. It seems as though God was waiting 
Job had to forgive his friends. Job had to pray for his friends and forgive them for all the bad advice, for all the bad things they had said about him, for all the ways they had made him feel, leading him to even say wrong things. He had to forgive them. And when he did, God restored his fortunes and blessed him many more times over. You know, Job still didn't have all the answers. You understand? And there are times in our lives when we may not have all the answers. But when we come into the presence of God, we no longer care. We don't need the answers because we are aware that all those little problems, all those little questions are nothing but a little speck before this a mighty God the creator of the universe. So I pray that as you read through Job this week, and particularly when you read God's response to Job, and he reveals his power and his greatness, and how little we are as mankind, let his awesome majesty fill your heart and your mind and your life. May that peace just flood your being, that peace that passes all understanding, bypasses all those little questions we might have, all the whys, even the problems, and just bask in his presence this week. And then I'll see you back here next week when we move forward in our story. But until then, may the Lord bless you as you spend time in his word. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.